Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Now, today's episode is on planning. Now, I know a few of you go, oh, God, an episode on planning? How boring is that? But let me just remind you of one really important thing. It's about to be the start of a new decade. So as we finish 2019, I think we've got a few weeks left as I recorded this episode. You know, all the things that have happened over the last few years, over the last 10 years, you can draw a line behind that. You can te- you know, take those things as learnings and you can start to set a new vision and you know, a new set of goals for what you want the future of your business to be like. And just to remind you about how much can happen in a decade, it was, I think, 2007 that the, the iPhone was first launched by Apple. You know, the whole, the whole growth of digital and mobile and apps and, you know, the, the, strange, the strange images you see of people like literally walking through the streets just staring at their phones. None of that happens. So, you know, <laughs> 10 years, you can achieve a lot. So what's the world going to be like in 2030? It's going to be massive. I wanted to create this episode because I think it's an important time of the year to reflect on everything and, and no better time than the start of a decade to set a new set of goals for yourself and for your business. So it was important to talk about how I see things evolving in 2020 and helping you have a bit of structure so that as you close out the year, you can get yourself in the right place, in the right position to be able to really have a, a strong go into 2020. Now, I didn't want to do this episode by myself. I know many of you get sick and tired of the ranting Australian. So I am absolutely thrilled to say that I'm doing a joint podcast episode with a really good friend of mine called Gavin Preston. And Gavin is very similar to me, actually, a a business scale-up specialist, an investor, has done a heap of stuff around growth and turnaround, speaker, author. And we both share a very similar passion, if you like, for scaling businesses through acquisition. And uh, we get into that a little bit today. So as I said, he's a good friend of mine, really, really strong uh, business scale-up coach. So what you're getting in today's episode is this is a joint podcast, is two guys nutting it out, talking about how we plan, how we think about the importance of planning to get stuff done with our clients, with our own businesses, and a whole heap of stuff around, I think, what are proven models and strategies around scale-up and the way that we both approach those things, all under the context of planning for your next decade in your business. So as I said, it's a joint podcast. Uh, Gavin has his own podcast, which is called The Business Mastermind. Um, Very successful podcast in its own right. I suggest you look that up. I'll put something in the show notes so you can go and have a listen to Gavin. But I think the best thing today and why I was so excited about doing this episode is that, you know, we, we have similar views, but we also have different approaches And the one thing I really like about doing this podcast for you is so that you can get different perspectives from different people. So it's not just my view, it's other views. And then you can contextualize those different thoughts and put them into practice in what you are trying to achieve. So that's it. 2020. Bring it on. Here's the podcast. 
Hi, welcome. A uh, very different podcast today. It's the first of, I hope, will be a number of collaborations, but this is with my friend Nick Bradley. Um, he has the podcast Scale Up Your Business. Nick, hi. Gavin, it is excellent to be here. So yeah, this yeah collaboration, because we do similar things. We do very similar things, <laughs> and um, we use the same sort of podcasting agency. We met via that, and we thought it'd be fabulous just to spend some time collectively talking about our experiences, about the work we do with clients and the businesses that we buy into and, and acquire and scale, about planning 2020. You know, we were in the last quarter of the decade, so as we look forward to the start of a brand new decade... I wonder even now at the beginning of November is when we record this, do you, how much time have you been spent uh, thinking about planning out your 2020? And for every one of my audience on Scale Up Your Business, you're going to get a bit of a masterclass here from two people who do this stuff all the time. <laughs> so I think the intention of what we'd like to get out of today is to help you with some of the perspectives we have um, working with multiple businesses around kind of what are some of the projections, some of the trends that we see coming into the future for 2020, but also to give you some practical advice on how you can start to think about your business planning so that you're set up to have a really strong year. Absolutely. And I think we will come back to this point as we go through the conversation, but uh, so few businesses in my experience really do take the time out to do this planning ahead of time. And before you know it, you're into the crazy sort of holiday season and then you're into the, the start of the new year and you don't even have your business objectives set, never mind a strategic no, plan. Isn't it? Yeah. One, of the, one of the reasons I, I got into what I'm doing now is I used to say, and I, I still believe this is true, that many people who start businesses are not necessarily the best at scaling them. And that doesn't mean you need to, you know, suddenly, you know, change your personality and become a new person, but you do have to think about your identity in a different way. And you do need to sort of think about your mindset and your skill set in a different way. Yeah. And I know I'm, I'm uh, interestingly, you know, I'm a fan of, of your podcast and uh, my uh, earphones listening to, um, to your podcast and often in at the gym or out on a run. And, um, you know, some of the experiences I know that you have very similar that I have with the people that I work with that, um, Mindset is critical. I know you talk about it. I talk about it. Is that I've had an experience just recently with a client where they will not grow any more. They've got a, they're sat on a massive opportunity in terms of the ability, to, the potential to scale that business, but they're stuck at the level of their own thinking. Yeah, and that happens all the time. And I, I don't, I don't overplay this, particularly when I first start talking to people. So if I'm speaking at an event or whatever else, and they, in the, in the context of that event is. You know, how do you raise investments? What are the dynamics? The almost the pra practical toolkit of scale up. Then I focus on that. But very often, what you find is there's an incongruence with the vision and, to some extent, the objectives, the values of the founder, the person leading the business. And it's probably actually a really good thing to start on because I think if we're going to talk about planning, one of the first things you need to think about is to reconnect with the vision of the business. If you're the leader and you're leading teams. Are you absolutely clear what you're trying to achieve, not just for the coming year, but you know for a few years out? I think it's absolutely critical because everything else has to line behind, align behind that vision. There's got to be some clarity because once you know where you're going, then the next obvious question is the how. Yes. And that's the strategy. That's the, yeah, that, that's, 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 that, that's the next key step. But so often businesses haven't got that clarity, um, A, in terms of that objective, and then the vision that can actually create it, bring it alive and make it a compelling proposition that will attract and retain the best employees, for example. Exactly. How do you do it? So if you think about what you're doing, and you, because obviously we both do our own planning for our own businesses at this time of year. So this is going to be practical for us as much yeah. as it is for our audience. What are some of the things you think about when you're getting ready for planning? What's the, the first stages? So I, I'm starting to think about um, 
the kind of, I love this idea about planning backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in terms of how the brain works, in terms of forward planning from the point in time, we base our beliefs on our decisions around what we believe is possible based on past performance. Okay, yeah. And you know, I, I suppose it's a very corporate way of thinking because I mean, my background being you know twenty years in corporate land, it's always about can you add an incremental percentage number to what happens the last year or whatever it is. Yep, and that, absolutely because you're given that challenge that, that's trickled down from the top, and a lot of individual business owners and uh, and boards running uh, SMEs think the same way. Yeah. But the problem with that is that you know you're making the assumption, oh, we grew five percent this year, so what could we do next year? Well, maybe we could do eight. Um, well. That's assuming that nothing changes, that you haven't developed your product or there's not any macroeconomic thing changes or that actually with the advent, you know, the the scaling and the growing of technology that actually you can be able to scale a business much quicker. So instead of thinking incrementally, I start to think, well, where do I want to be? And I work backwards from that. In actual fact, a number of years back, I interviewed a really high growth entrepreneur who'd gone from back bedroom startup to 50 million business turnover in four years. And I I asked him the question, what were the, if there were three things that really stood out about how you scaled your business? And he said, well, this was long before the Grant Cardone things and 10X was around. Yeah. He basically said, every time I set a goal, I asked myself how I can create 10 times the level of results. So, oh, wow. That's cool. Okay. So he challenged himself that it wasn't just about the goal. It was about the result and the outcome. The result and the outcome. But also, if he thought, I want to grow by, you know, obviously 5 million, how can I grow to 50 million? So he's, he's adding the extra zero on the end. Yeah. Okay. But the next thing he did, which I thought was really quite neat, was in his mind's eye, he stands at the place of having achieved that goal. And he looks backwards mm-hmm. and asks himself the question, what was it I did to get here? And I love that because it's a trick of the brain. Because if you stand at this present time and say, oh, how do we grow 10 times? You, your mind goes, I don't even know whether that's possible. And as soon as you've got doubt, it clouds your thinking or mm-hmm. it paralyzes your thinking. So, but when you stand at that point of saying, great, we're celebrating, we've done it. What did we do to get here? Your brain goes, oh, well, I'd have done it. This, this, that's and this. the power of visualization, as they say. You know, it happens a lot in sports psychology, but the idea that you have to absolutely you create the thoughts in your mind and then the strategies, the actions, whatever they are, start to become obvious. Not so much that they, they land straight away, but I found this in my own businesses. Once I start to see what the opportunity is, and we'll get into some of our own strategies later on, um, things just start to appear. I don't think they appear in some sort of weird way, by the way. I think you just are more open to seeing them. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and also you make different calls. When you look backwards in your mind's eye and saying, well, working back to the present moment, you make different calls about what needs to be done by when, and uh, by what stage. But also you, you seem to look at it in a way that you, you cut away the stuff that's superfluous mm-hmm. and you're just focusing on them. So back to the original, I apply that strategy. I go, okay, where do I want to be? Let me plan backwards. And um, I also pay attention to the stuff that is so much of what I do. I just am passionate and fired up about doing it. And if there's certain aspects that have lost some of that fire, some of that passion, I'm paying attention to how I'm evolving and where I want to play and what's giving me the new source of passion that's influencing that business planning and thought process. And how does that, how do you just make that come alive a little bit more? So is that the skills that you need to develop, you think, to achieve those new goals? Is it that sort of thing? Because obviously, you know, to, to, get, to get to where you want to be from where you are today, you have to change. Sure. You have to change something in your business. You have to change how you're thinking about it. Or you have to change your ability, your current ability to go to something more, is it quite structured for you or is it more intuitive? 
Um, it's actually um, the intuitive, the feel of where I want to go. It, you know, I'm pretty intuitive in that. But the knowing where there might be particular skills gaps or relationships or networks I want to be a part of, that bit's structured. Okay. Similar okay. to me. Very similar yeah. to me too. So yeah. I know... You know, we, we, one of the areas in common um, that we both have is around acquiring and growing and scaling businesses, as well as stuff that we do in a mentorship and um, coaching basis, but actually doing it within businesses. Um, so like you had done, I've gone out and sought the right sort of training and becoming a part of the right um, uh, the, the right networks. And another key area for me um after having not uh, having done a lot of speaking a few years back, I had a couple of years where I didn't do much speaking. So that's another area where I've I've got on that sort of development roadmap and some some more speaker training. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's good. I think there's one of the learnings for people listening to this. Is there's a lot of there's a lot in what we just spoke about. But just to summarise from my perspective is, you know, if you start with the vision piece, firstly, my view is you can't not have a big enough vision. So a lot of people, they think, oh, yeah, but I can't achieve that. That seems so crazy. I always say, listen, there's no, there's no risk in not having it. If it scares you, break it down into chunks so it's more manageable. But I have a 20-year vision. I've got something I want to achieve in the next 20 years, which is massive, massive compared to where I am today. But it drives me to do stuff. So. so I still, every year in my own planning, I start with that. And then I contextualize it and bring it back into something which is chunked up. And I think your point, particularly around, you know, is it about an incremental percentage or is it a little bit more bolder so i think google calls it a moonshot have you ever heard yeah, that yeah, before yeah, yeah and actually i did some work with google a few years back when i was working in an education business and the way that they incentivize their staff is if you hit 70 percent of your moonshot goal you get your full incentive wow which i think is really quite powerful because obviously you could argue they haven't achieved it but they want the moonshot to be big yeah yeah so it's the same thing in anyone else's businesses you've got to have a bold, a bold goal and then if you break it into those manageable chunks then it starts to become real but feeling what that then sort of borders into back to the whole mindset piece is people play it safe and go for incremental growth because of fear, because of comfort zones, because the, they ask the most, you know, damaging question we could ever ask of ourselves, which is, am I good enough? Mm. Whereas putting ourselves specifically, you know, let, let's play a bigger game. Let's play a bigger game in terms of um, the challenge, but also in terms of the impact that the businesses that we're a part of can have on in serving their marketplaces. Yeah, it's always, it comes back to I'm working with um, a couple of different clients at the moment. And in each occasion, in different ways, it's the view that they have of their own ability, which is holding them back. Yes. I, I, they can't lead the business. They're not the right person. The market's not good. Brexit in the UK is going to stop everything. Yep. And these are all limiting beliefs, which if you believe them, they are, they're, they're going to have a, an effect. They're going to have an impact that's not going to be desirable. So you're best to try and work something else out. <laughs> and and then coming back to your you know, earlier question around, so what do I do in my own process? Um, I kind of follow my own example. I say to, to my clients that you, when it comes to strategic planning and for your business, you can't see the label on the jam jar when you're on the inside of the jam jar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I often find the, case, the situation, I need somebody external to me to act, I, I'll do some prep, but somebody else to be able to pull out of me some of that and, and, and to uh, and identify things that I might not have um, put enough emphasis on or saying, actually, you're really good there, but possibly you haven't put, you know, you're not put enough development behind that. Or you're not, you're not really shouting about that enough. Yeah, no, I, I do a similar thing. And I, my process is relatively structured. Most things in my life are quite structured. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just how I, how I am. And sometimes people challenge that, particularly 
particularly people I work with, and they sort of say, how can you, how do you do that? And for me, um, structure creates freedom. So yep. therefore, in my planning process, I do the same thing. So I start with every year and around this time, I'll start thinking about has the vision changed? Has it evolved? You know, and that's brought around by lots of different things. So, yep. you know, the environment that I'm in, the people that I've met, my family, where I want things to be. For example, I've just got back from around about four weeks in America. So first week was in San Diego. And then I spent two and a half weeks with the family in Florida and doing the Brilliant. Disney thing. Yeah. And I bring that up because I, I'm very clear now that I want to own a house in Florida. Wow. No yep. question about it. It's lovely. It took me back to my days in Sydney where I used to get up in the morning and go surfing before work. I mean, the weather's <laughs> great. So, yeah. so that's new. That's a new goal. So therefore, how has the vision for my life changed or evolved? It's because there's a new goal there that I want to set. So I look at that. Then I think about, okay, so what is it in the next 12 months that I need to be thinking about in terms of results and outcomes that are going to take me towards that vision? Yep. Then I get into strategy, which we can get into in a bit more detail. Normally, strategy then turns into three things. Skill set. Yeah. Mindset and how I manage my physical health and energy. Great. And the last one I don't talk about too much because, again, people sort of they don't connect with it straight away. But I think it's important we talk about it because you've got to have the energy to deliver the results. And so then I balance everything in my life around those areas um, and get intentional with habits and weekly action plans, mentors that I need, coaches that I need to be able to facilitate those results in that coming 12-month period. And that's, that for me is the foundation. There's lots of detail underneath each of those points, but that in the foundation is how I set myself up for a great year. Now, for many entrepreneurs, they're naturally creative. They've developed their product or the service that they brought to the market. So having structure is a bit of an anathema to them. Um, but I think obviously for you, it works. And for many others that are wanting to get the biggest bang out of their time invested in their business or businesses, they find that structure is an enabler for increased productivity and output. Yes. And I think it, for me, I always think creativity can still live within structure. So it doesn't mean that the way I've, I've managed teams, if I jump back to my corporate career, um, I would always, you know, there's that famous saying, I think it was by Steve Jobs about don't employ great people and tell them what to do, right? Because yeah. it's crazy. But you, if you're running, I used to work in the media game. So my background was, you know, lots of years in publishing and digital media. And you are surrounded by creatives, you know, fantastic writers, editorial people, media, that type of personality. So you can't cage that. What I would do is I would create a big enough boundary around those people that they could be creative within the structure. Great. So that absolutely would I get the best out of them. But there's a point where if it went too chaotic, then it wouldn't work. Yeah. And it's the same, I think, how I manage myself, but it's the same in any business. And you've got to identify that. If you have no structure, you can have chaos. If you have too much structure, you're not going to have creativity or innovation. So the balance is going to be different depending on the type of business that you have, environment you're in, and to some extent, the sort of person you are. Gives you that freedom within a framework. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing I say to most entrepreneurs who challenge that question is you've got to have some. The, the amount that you need to have is up to you to some extent, but it all comes back to the results that you're achieving. If you're achieving the results, then you've probably got the right balance. If you're not, then it's probably worth looking at it again. Yeah. Yeah. And- we mentioned before, sorry, well, let's go through your process before we come back to the thinking piece. Sure. But you said, um, so has the vision changed with step one, step two, results and outcomes that you need to achieve over the next 12 months. Your third one was around strategy, split right. into skill set, mindset, and your physical health and energy. What comes next? No, that's it. That's it. That's Great. it. So, and so everything, everything's built around that framework. So it's essentially six different things. Yeah. But if I go through them just quickly, because I think it's, it's useful to understand how I, I think about each. 
So the goals, I, we, we can talk about from the business side, but when I set goals, I set goals for all the various areas of my life. So there'll be parts in there which are business, mission, career, there'll be financial goals, there'll be relationship goals, there'll be essentially experiences that I want to have, health and fitness, and to some extent also how I think about my own sort of mental state and psychology. So again, managing emotions is a it's one of those master arts that you have to have. And again, we can, it's another podcast. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the more you can manage your emotions, the more successful you are. So I think about goals and outcomes in those areas. And depending on, I, I score them. So I literally sit there and say, okay, so what am I going to give myself out of 10 for my physical health at the moment? What's the quality of the relationships that I want to have with my family, particularly my wife and my children? Uh, how much am I, you know, are my finances in state? And that's both offense and defense. So, you know, am I investing enough and have I got income streams that are multi, multi-layered and multifaceted? So I have scoring. And then I, I work out what I want to achieve in each of those areas. And that becomes the goals that I then set for the year. Great. So that's it. So we focus that back into the business side. So for this coming year, then there's obviously the the business acquisition side and business investment side, which is a big trigger. So, you know, there's no less than five businesses I want to acquire in the next 12 months. I then work that back to the strategy and the strategy is, okay, so what needs to happen? What needs to happen every quarter for that to to be successful? And then you take it all the way back to how do you originate deals? You know, what's the marketing strategy? How much am I going to invest? And then it comes all the way back to, to literally weekly habits where I make sure that I have the discipline of doing something every day, which is taking me towards those goals. Great. And that's the strategy, right? And then you get into, okay, well, where are the gaps? Mindset. Okay, mindset's one where I do um, a lot of meditation just, again, to get me focused and centered. Skill set, you know, I've still got some gaps in certain areas that I'm trying to improve upon, so I find mentors and coaches and that. And then energy, for me, there's a lot of self-education around how I'm, I mean, for example, I've moved more towards a plant-based diet recently. Again, some, some testing that I've done and I found my energy levels have gone through the roof. Right. So again, it's not for everybody, but my goals are so big that unless I go down to that level of granularity for myself personally, um, there is less chance, if you like, that I'll be successful from my perspective. Great. Great. So you are not only are disciplined in doing that planning, you're disciplined in the execution of that planning and you surround yourself with the people that can help you achieve that with that coach, mentors or the mastermind groups and the networks that you are a part of. Um, so you make a conscious commitment. My experience in terms of some of the clients that I've worked with, you, um, you try and take them on that journey, but that is quite that level of structure and discipline and follow through isn't normal for them or it isn't their most practiced behavior. Has that been your experience with? Yeah, I, I, I say, I call it out as being not their highest value. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, to use that term, it just means that they've got other things that have got high priority. So uh, the easiest way I find is even though I might explain it, like I've just explained it to you and for everyone listening, they're probably thinking, what is this guy on? <laughs> You know, and it's not that, I mean, I wasn't always like this. I, I was just not getting results before. Mm-hmm. So I needed to change something. And therefore, I, I found people who guided me to some of these things that I do now. So what I say to people is, this may not be you, but if you're not getting the results, you need to change something. And I always say, don't change too many things. Change no more than three. So if it is that you need to get up in the morning because you want to write a book and you have got no other time to do it but other than 4.30 in the morning, and that's a really important thing for you, then you're going to have to make a decision and a choice. If it's not important, then don't do it. And that's, that's it. But don't try and change too much at once. Change the things that are going to get you the outcome. Yeah. 
Absolutely. How, how do you? I mean, question back at you. I mean, I mean that's my my process generally. And um, what? So the work I do with the clients do? and myself is I've got a six stage model for around business growth uh, called the Strategy Compass, and uh, there's a there's a there's commonality there. So at the heart of it um, is purpose. Um, you know, why are we doing what we're doing in terms of you know, whether that purpose is closer to home in terms of family or between the difference that you want to make in your product or your service, and then. Uh, the second part of this sort of the heart of the compass is mindset. So okay. what am I doing in order to my daily and, and, and weekly mindset practices to make sure that I'm working on that. And that that's something I've been fascinated about since my dad handed me a book at the age of 15, a W. Clement Stone book called The Success System That Never Failed. And the, ne- the very next book I read after that was Napoleon Hill's Thinking Grow Rich. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my dad said to me after having read The Success W. Clement Stone was a friend of Napoleon Hill's and the quote, well, the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve from Napoleon Hill became a life motto from the age of 15. So I've Fantastic. been fascinated about that since. So you've got purpose, you've got mindset right at, right at the start. And I use a, uh, a mnemonic called STRIVE, which are the elements of mindset. So importance of state. I know we've mm-hmm. both got a background in NLP. Um, then S for state, T for self-talk. There, mm-hmm. uh, R is around rituals, so those daily habits and practice. You're smiling because this is nothing new here. Uh, I is around identity, and we touched yeah. on that earlier on. Um, the V is around uh, sort of values and yeah, I'm, I'm, visualization. I'm, always, I'm very much smiling now. The reason the, the E, e for just finish that one up. E, e yeah. of course, is empowering belief. So yeah, okay. Well, there we are. I, what, what the reason I'm smiling is a uh, there's lots of commonality there. But you know what's funny? The more you spend time in the environment of people who are doing you know things at a high level, high performance, the, the, there's a there's a massive playbook here. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was in this uh, this conference in San Diego called Influencer. Um, as much as I don't like, oh, Brendan, yeah, it was Brendan Bouchard's yeah. conference, and and I, you know, I, Brendan, he, he's he's not someone I warmed to straight away, but I was certainly impressed after this, you know, just seeing what he did over the three or four days. But it wasn't so much that the people that I met there. I mean, the conversation we're having now is a conversation I have multiple times in different nuances over those three or four days, and the same thing happens if you go to other masterminds or other events where people are looking for, as I said, high performance. So anyone who's listening to this who's really stuck. You know, the first thing to I always say is change your environment. You know, get yourself in, you surround, change your peer group. Get around some people who are maybe going through the same challenges as you because actually just getting together with those individuals and just talking about it will just give you different perspectives and different strategies. So that's why I'm smiling. Because <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, you know, there's, it's when you kind of connect on those sort of levels, it becomes uh, obvious. That environment is key. So, yeah, uh, purpose and mindset. And then um, if we think about the four points of the compass being north being outcome, which is, you know, what, what are those results and outcomes you achieve on achieving your business? Um, the easterly point is strategy, is the how. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a number of models I use around that. The south point, the southerly point is um, about capability and capacity. So I have another model there that's, uh, conveniently scale so being systems cash mm-hmm. for the a a uh, for the c rather a being advanced meaning innovation l being leadership and culture and e being effectiveness personal effectiveness and productivity and then finally the westerly point on the compass the sixth part of my six stage strategy compass model is action accountability okay. so i will take clients through that journey and you know the 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 biggest thing that changes the trajectory of growth of the businesses that I've worked with over the years has been mindset, mm-hmm. without doubt. It always is. I always say it is the game. But that said, if you start to try and 
introduce that too early, particularly when someone's in, say they're in a lot of pain with their business, there's a lot of things going wrong operationally or commercially. In as much as that's going to be the key to unlocking it, a lot of people are not ready for that conversation straight away. So true. And in actual fact, I don't lead on mindset in terms of the stuff I do with clients. And 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 whenever I am talking about that, I'm going to help you scale and grow your business. I don't necessarily need to know all, to tell them at that moment all the stuff around how we're going to get there because mindset, when they are in pain, they, they don't want that. No. They want a solution. You know, when somebody comes to you, as has happened with me, look, I am looking down the precipice of the end of my business. What do I do? I'm straight into cash, for example. Yep. We'll come to the mindset stuff later. Let's let's sort out cash and make sure the business can survive. Yeah, you've got to get rid of, you know, if someone, like it comes back to the emotional states. So if someone is in that state, because as you said, you know, if their business is on the precipice of surviving or not surviving, they're not going to be, you can't change that by introducing something that's a bit ethereal. No. So I had a conversation last night with a guy who didn't really didn't believe that much in marketing of his business backgrounds it technology i get that quite a bit and i gave him a very simple four-step formula for how to use linkedin effectively and he said to me afterwards he said that's in years i've never heard marketing explained so simply but it was a very prescriptive very tactical just do this right and you know see if it works but in that situation that was what he needed and actually when somebody is in a place of uh, heightened anxiety or even overwhelm, the best kind of prescription that you can give is a step-by-step. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what we were, saying, we were saying before we started recording about the difference between coaching and mentoring. And I think in, there's nuances again around what this is. But I think in some cases, you being if you're an expert or you've been there before or whatever you want to call yourself and someone needs that intervention, then I've got no issue with saying it's very prescriptive. And summary is quite directive to say this is what it is. And I find that that gets the right results at the right time. And that's what they want. And and ultimately, I think that's where everybody gets the biggest kick from is to know that you've helped somebody grow their business to achieve that level of result. Take the pain away. Exactly. Take the pain away. So um, if we start to talk about move the conversation or evolve the conversation to some of the kind of like areas that around planning that a business owner should be thinking about as they start to plan 2020 the start of the next decade so where would you if there was sort of two or three areas that you would point people towards what would they be for you from your point of view so i think the first thing for me and we touched a little bit on this beforehand is you've got to take an external viewpoint however you decide to get that so so as i said the structures we've both spoken about are quite similar so that gives a framework for people to be able to model sure the thing, probably one of the biggest issues I see with, with many entrepreneurs is they do that insular approach. So they sit there and say that the products that they're working to, the customers that they're trying to appeal to, the strategies that worked looking backwards are the same strategies that will work this coming year. And I suppose the thing I want to impress on people as they think about 2020 is the world is changing more rapidly every single year, month, week, day. And the things that have worked for you in the past may not be the things that are going to work for you going forward. So the first thing is to, however you do it, whether it's you get people in to help you, you do some research, you speak more to your customers, you look at the competition, whatever those dynamics are, you need to get down and write this stuff down and say, okay, what are the things that are either going to enable me to drive the objectives and growth and what are the things that could constrain me? Mm. And first look externally before you look internally. That's my first points I would advise people to do. So specifically, where are you pointing them to in terms of, if they were to look externally, look at 
what? So I still, one of the things I find valuable, even in, in, in where I work these days, I still look back to my corporate career. So I was doing corporate strategy. So I still look at, you know, the political environments. I look at the economic environments. I still think there are some triggers in that that you need to be aware of. So if I'm looking at the UK at the moment and Brexit, I think you need to understand it and you need to understand if it has an impact on what you're doing, but not necessarily be um, constrained or suffocated by what it is. So for me, it's have a look at the environment that, you're, that your customers operate in. The one thing I've found, and I've done this in every, every private equity-backed business that I've gone into, the first thing I do is go and interview all the customers. Great. First thing. And then I come back with a really rich yep. set of analysis, both qualitative and quantitative to some extent. And I can then work that into some sort of framework in my mind to be able to sort of say, well, what are we going to do about this? Yep. So I think the first thing I say is that. Speak to your customers. And if you're a consumer business where it's a bit difficult to do so in terms of getting the quality, work out ways that you can get in front of them and find out if their pain points or their needs have changed. Because you may no longer be uh, solving that problem for them. Yeah. yeah. And this is what I mean beforehand. So you might have a range of products. And whether it's agile innovation or the belief that you need to be more agile now because of the way the world is moving more quickly, you need to... I feel comfortable that the it's almost that sacred cows thing. If you've got something that's been your flagship proposition product service, it may not be relevant. And I'll give you a quick example on this. So I've been working with a business recently which has had a you know a stunning um, outsourcing proposition for the last decade. Now, in the space that it operates in, which is the human capital space, there's a massive shift towards technology in that particular vertical, more so than's ever happened. So in the, in the sort of marketing days that I've been involved in, that happened you know, 15 years ago, but sure. right now in HR, it's happening now. Yeah. So to lead with a, a people-based proposition when everything's a technology answer, yes, yeah. you, you really got to think differently. Yes. You know? And that's, that's an example of what I mean. So if you've got a business that you know, it's flying along, the most important thing is it's a bit like product lifestyle because you want to kind of get in there before you're seeing the pain. So even if you've had a fan, your best year ever, I still say go out there and reevaluate it again. Yeah, because if you could do what you were doing last year, it may not be the thing that's going to get you to where you need to be. For sure. For sure. Um, so areas that I think also – so you said the first stage there was uh, environment. Look at your environment, see what's happening externally around you and how that could impact. Uh, you mentioned obviously political economic there, but – you to carry on that pestle model of mm-hmm. um, societal, technological, legal, and environmental. All of these are factors, and I and I, I see these models, these the strategy models such as pestle, such as SWOT, and many others as lenses through which to look at your business. Yeah, and that's all they are. And I, because I still use some people say some of these models are outdated. I think it depends on how you use them. Sure. So you know they're just a framework. They're just a framework. The, the most important thing is matching what the customer wants or what the market wants with what you can provide. And so, you know, once, you, once you're clear on the problem to be solved, and I always say that's the starting point, and then it's about mapping it back internally. And then you overlay around there some of the trends that are happening. So, for example, the shift towards paying for consumption rather than ownership, mm-hmm. that's, that's growing across more and more different sectors. And, you know, even... Um, you know, Tim Cook in his late in in the latest earnings call for for Apple was dropping a hint that it could be shifting. You know, the the very core of the Apple sort of growth engine being the equipment sale of the iPhone into a subscription based model, for example. Yeah, well, and these are these are exactly right. So these are I find, and this this happened a few years back now, but 
when things like customer experience um, through the likes of how Amazon do things, how you know, mainly that sort of digital experience was starting to get better, people were having different expectations both in their consumer and business world. So if you're, I used to say that if your consumer world is getting amazing, you know, this idea that, you know, you can get something delivered to you within an hour, you don't have to wait four days anymore. And you're a B2B business, for example, and it's still taking you ages just to pick up the phone to your customer. Sure. The same person, I, I've actually challenged the whole concept of B2B and B2C. I've said it's, it's actually P2P, it's person to person, it's interpersonal yeah. relationships. Yep. Yep. Because actually you can't sit, no one's going to divorce the idea in their head that just because, you know, I'm now at work, the experience that I got at home was so much better. It's the same thing. Yeah. So again, you've got to look at all these dynamics and say what's happening and, and apply them as sees fit to your business. And if you're not doing that, or at least being curious about what those things are, you could get stung by someone else doing it better than you or coming in and, and doing what you're doing, or you're just missing the mark because you haven't taken the time to, to be able to relate and reflect on that. A lot of you know, B2B businesses have operated around the basis of, oh, we've got a, a, a lead time of, uh, could be weeks in order for that product to be delivered to their customer. But as you say, our personal expectation, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not even next day, thanks to Amazon now. It could be later the same day. Exactly. Yeah, I've got some, some people I've worked with who are you know, going from sort of corporate gigs or, or sort of employee jobs to being Amazon affiliate businesses now, just leveraging the growth of these big behemoth businesses. So anyone, you've got, these are the sort of questions I think you need to be asking yourself. And if to say what we, um, to reiterate, sorry, what we said beforehand, if you haven't got that insight within your business or you haven't got a good board structure or non-execs, you should start thinking about having those people come and just help and do an audit of that around this time of year, particularly if you're on a calendar year planning cycle so that any of your priorities, your strategic priorities are aligned to some of those insights. Undoubtedly. And then off the back of getting those insights, you effectively move into the, the detailed outcomes that you're looking mm. for for the business. Yeah, precisely. I mean, what trends do you see? I mean, let's, let's talk, I think this would be quite useful because there's, there's a lot of ha things happening. The one thing we were talking just beforehand, again, before we started to record was um, the pace of change. What, what are sure. your thoughts on that? I mean, if you look forward to 2020 and you're advising your clients, what are some of the things that you think jump out? For me, you know, it's almost the, to, in the, at a time when we are required to run faster and faster, paradox, paradoxically, we need to create the time to actually stop and to think. Okay, yeah. And I see that not being the case in a lot of owner-managed businesses that are wanting to grow into scale, they can find it hard to let go of some of the ops stuff, some of the operational stuff, or constantly get drawn back into it. Um, but giving themselves, giving yourself the permission to be off-site from your business on a regular basis with the phones off, the emails off, and you do this precious thing called thinking. And you know, very eloquently put in Keith Cunningham's book, A Road Less Stupid. And you know, his key thought we is- We both love that book. We both love that book. His key <laughs> thought is- you know, schedule, diary out time to do some thinking, have a, you know, a journal or a notepad and a pen um, without digital devices and just really focus on that. So um, with increasing pace of chains, I am increasingly forcing myself and my clients, if you like, to put the structure in a time out to stop and to think. Yeah, great. Um, to the point with 
you know, some of the clients I'm saying, we are going away from your business. We're going to go and you know, shut ourselves in an inspirational environment for a day or so. We're going to get the white board out and the, the flip charts and we're going to plan, but away from the distractions of the day-to-day busyness of business. Yeah. And the other thing I think that's really great in that book as well is, is about the, um, the questions that you ask. So one of, one, of the, one of the great ones, I think, is uh, what am I not seeing, which actually reflects back to that point around the market. So what am I not seeing that, that could cause me pain or could actually be an opportunity, but I haven't at this point you know, reflected on what that is? So linking back to the political and economic thing, you know, one of the things that you, we, we, we may um, subscribe or fall into the trap of the belief that, that there's Brexit is slowing economy or, or spending down. What you might not be seeing is, as we were talking about earlier on, the amount of money that's there in the private equity markets mm. at the moment and conversations I've had with a high street bank, the amount of money that businesses have on deposit is at a record all-time high. Well, for me, there's so much latent potential there of money that is <laughs> pent up to explode out into the economy and be spent. Yeah. And it's a really weird time. As I said, in my experience, certainly in private equity, and I've been working directly with some firms both here in the, UK, in the UK and also in the US, is they can't find, well, they can find businesses, but the valuations of those businesses are sky high. Right. Multiples that have never been seen before. And for people who have done understand that term, it's, it's basically how businesses are valued. So it's usually based on EBITDA and profit of the business. And a multiple of that profit is usually how the um, enterprise value of a business is, is, is equated, if you like. And... I'm seeing at the moment, you know, funds that are not being utilized because of this, this quite big distortion. So what does that mean for someone who's got a business? Well, it does mean that, you know, the time to sell a business is now. It's, it's funny. I, I meet with tech entrepreneurs quite a lot and particularly when I'm doing speaking. And the number of times someone says, I've got a unicorn, which is a, a business that's going to be sold for over a billion dollars or is valued at a billion dollars. And I sit there and say, yeah, but it's not value to that yet. <laughs> and, you know, it depends yeah. on what your number is. If your number yeah. is a billion, then, you know, you're going to have some nice private jets, but that's not normally what a person's number is when they're trying to realize value. So if you're in a business that you're thinking, oh, I want to sell in three years' time, but I could sell it now, and the number is the number for you, my advice is start planning that exit this year. Yeah. Have that as one of your goals. Even if you don't do it, start to – have a think about what that could look like and put that into your, into your, your sort of uh, results and outcomes because the distortion in the market around that is not going to last, I think, any more than three years, my prediction. Right. So you, in terms of the increased multiples that businesses are having? Multiples and the fact that the money is, is there at the moment. So in some of the, and I can't talk about the specific businesses, but in some of the, the industries that I've worked in with private equity, there is a ability right now to hoover up bolt-on acquisitions and to mm-hmm. try and leverage the fact that the multiple is distorted because, again, the way it works in private equity is if you can put four or five businesses together, um, the, the risk of those businesses not working because the sum of those businesses combined is, is stronger means that the multiple of the business is higher. Great. Great. So again, we're getting into some technical acquisition stuff now, but um, but it's quite. If you're if you're that that entrepreneur, if you're that business leader, the thing to think about is firstly, if you want to raise investment, it's not a bad time to go and raise investment. To your point around, you know, there is latent money sitting around, but if you are at that point of exit, don't stall. It still could take you eighteen months to sell the business, so the time to think about it is certainly now in twenty twenty. So I think it's. Uh as part of your planning for 2020, yes, of course, you want to be looking about what you're going to do to grow revenue. 
what you're going to do to grow profit, but you also need to be thinking about what you're going to do to grow your balance sheet and grow your ultimately your valuation of your business. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's an area that increasingly uh, clients want to spend time looking at. You know, the, 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 they've evolved in their sort of realization that. Actually, I don't know whether you've experienced this, but I'm seeing a number of uh, uh, people that have got to a point in their evolutionary growth with their business and they've got to an age where they suddenly thought, you know, I'm doing all right, I'm comfortable, but if I carry on on the same trajectory, I'm not going to get that big payday that will enable retirement. And there's this dawning realization, I need to play a different game or you know, use a different chapter from the playbook in order to be able to create the valuation that will give the retirement exit. Um, so that, that is prompting conversations around how do you build val- value, how do you build balance sheet value. Um, would, would you, have you experienced something similar to that and do you work yeah, on that space? Yeah, I, I, I could probably build a whole nother business on advising on acquisitions sure. and, and roll-ups. Um, so to, to kind of take that back to your, to your question is if you're a business which is of a certain scale, meaning smaller, um, there are more businesses out there at the moment in that area than there ever has been before. And I think we've both spoken about the numbers of people retiring who've got businesses and there's definitely lots of those opportunities out there to buy those smaller businesses, put them all together if they're in a sector and then create something which is bigger. So if you're ever going to sell a business, particularly if you're going to sell it to private equity, there's only three ways to sell a business. So you can either sell it to another person so we could transact together. You can sell it to a company or you sell it to private equity. VCs don't buy businesses. They invest in them and there's different things, but it's in those three areas. So private equity, where the money sits at the moment, there's a certain threshold before they're interested. And it does depend on the the sort of firm. It depends on on the geography. But I'm looking at the moment, businesses that are making over a million in terms of their profits tend to be on the radar. If the higher they are, then, you know, obviously that's even better. So if you're a business at the moment that's making, let's say, half a million, you know, one of your strategies should be to go and find another business that's doing a similar level or another two businesses, put them together, merge them, work out how the equity plays. And then if you want to exit the business and create value, you're much more likely to do it if you have that strategy. Agreed. Totally. And also, you're going to get to your point of uh, the valuation and therefore the amount of money for exit a lot quicker than you would be by our organic growth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this, is, this, is, this is one of the things I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly creative entrepreneurs, miss because there's a certain pride, if you like, in building the business up and doing, you know, the, you know I've you know, grown the customer base and I've done this and to some extent bootstrapped it or whatever else. And it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you have any aspiration to want to create a capital event, uh, you're going to have to drive that growth much more quickly, I think, because I'll give you, I'll give you another example of something I've seen recently, particularly in the tech space. And this, people, when, most of the tech entrepreneurs I speak to hate it when I say this, so I'm going to say it. It's for fun. Is I've sat in rooms and I've had pitches from tech businesses. Again, a lot of them have got high revenue but no profit, which is always yeah. quite funny. Yeah. And I've seen the same business presented to me literally on the same day three or four times in certain areas where I can't draw a line between the proposition. Really? Oh, it's mental. It really is. And you've got these entrepreneurs. What in terms of the way it's been articulated? Particularly, I'll give you a bit more detail. So let's say it's a platform that does engagement, employee engagement in okay. this particular example. I've sat in a room as an investor and I've had three separate pitches and the proposition, the problem to be solved, the way the platform was built, everything has been pitched identically. And even if it hasn't been pitched identically, 
and I remember I sit through these things all the time, I haven't been able to see the difference. Okay. All right. So that's what I call technology overwhelm. So, so the point, point I want to make around this is, you know, you're much better off, you know, not going for the big home run as you are trying to create a valuable business now through some different thinking, some different strategies. If your goal, which most people's goal to do this, is to create some wealth and, and a capital event at some point in time. So these are interesting things. As people are doing their planning, you've got to at least consider these as options, I think. You may dismiss them. You may sit there and go, you know what, actually this year it's all about organic growth. It's all about revenue. Next year is about profit. You may decide that's your strategy based on the vision you're trying to achieve. But you, you should at least consider these other options because it just may take you down a pathway that's going to get you to your ultimate outcome more quickly than the path that you're currently on. And the prospect where a business owner that has grown and scaled the business organically, they've done it themselves, they've learned as they've gone along, the prospect of a merger and acquisition can be very intimidating. Yeah, you have to surround, back to our point around having the right people on, around the table in the room, you've got to surround yourself with the right people. So I found one of the reasons I, I do what I do now was because I sat on the other side of the table with private equity and I realized how the game, if you like, was so swayed towards the investor and not the entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I sat there thinking, I'm not the creative guy. I'm not the guy who's going to come up with that idea, but I certainly know how to create value from what they're doing and how to put the structure in to be able to get it to something which absolutely has the dynamics to create value. So the opportunity was to sit on the side of that fence. Yeah, and I still see that today. And most of the stuff that I have been doing over the last couple of years has been partnering with entrepreneurs to help them through and navigate yeah. what can be a very stressful time because it is, you know, you, you, private equity and, and it's smart people. Absolutely. And unless you have the confidence and the, you know, and the skill set mindset, again, it can be, it can be very daunting. And, and even the knowledge of the language that's spoken. <sighs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think I haven't seen that change, even though you get lots of um, very clever people out of, you know, West Coast America <laughs> coming out of Stanford and creating businesses there's still some um, lack of experience that's naturally going to come because they haven't sort of been in that world. And they wouldn't say private equity. It's not that people take advantage of it. It's just that you're still in a commercial environment and people are going to be looking to um, exploit, if you like, the value that they can through those different conversations and relationships. And is, I know every case is different and should be judged on its own merits, but when you're looking to do these roll-ups, these either bolt-on acquisitions to a core business or taking a number of businesses and pulling them together to, into a larger group. Do you look to keep them as separately, separate autonomous business units, if you like, or do you look to take centralized, to centralized functions, whether it be HR and finance, for example, and procurement yeah, and marketing? It's a, it's a great question. More, more often it's the latter because you're looking for the profit kick. So, sure. so it's what they call synergies in, in, in the world, but it does depend a little bit on, I mean, I, I've bought businesses before and incubated them fully because they're on a different growth trajectory to a core business. Sure. So you might bring them in and let them do their own thing. But at some point in time where it makes sense, which is yeah. normally across some level of central function, <laughs> you want to be able to um, uh, not have duplication where it's not required. It just increases the multiples. So if you think about it, I mean, what are the things that um, indicate selling a business? So you've got the financials, obviously, which is usually based on EBITDA. Sometimes it can be revenue multiples, but usually on, on profit. Then you've got the proposition itself um, and aligned to that, the uniqueness of the product. 
Then you've got the people. I mean, the number of times a decision is made emotively because the CEO or the leadership team is is captivating. It's crazy. But, you know, you see lots of money being thrown just because the team's right and the pitch is great mm-hmm. yeah, all the time. And then, you know, you start to get into other sort of nuances, which are more strategic, which can be the quality of the customer base, the geographic location. But all those things start to come together. And, you know, if you think about that, is it better then to have some of those business incubated or not? Well, ultimately, bringing it all together is going to get the best financial return more often than not. And that's what tends to happen in roll-ups. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole piece within that of getting the cultural alignment right or integrations right, because that's where you can have a real clash and synergies often, if you get that wrong, the synergies don't appear. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's where you see sometimes these tech businesses that are bought by huge multinationals and it doesn't work very well or that business, all the value goes out of that business. I've been involved in a couple <clears throat> a couple of those in the media industry where in, in some cases it worked over time, but it didn't work straight away. And I think it's also about and uh, how how the opportunity of a, com- a combined business or an acquired business being a part of a bigger organization, how the opportunity for development for at a personal level for growth, how is it that's pitched to team members, to the employees of that organization? Because without a compelling, back to our vision point that we start the conversation, without a picture being painted of a compelling vision about the benefits of this new enlarged group, individuals are going to create their own story, which is usually the horror movie, the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of these things are missed by the, the, the due diligence that's done by the firms as well. But if, if you're a smaller business, I mean, we're talking about the, the bigger the business, the more complexity, you know, in this sort of situation. But if you're a smaller business and you, you're talking to your competitor um, who you know as well and you're going through the same challenges, it's not crazy to say is there a point in time that we should bring this together, yeah? Particularly if, you know, you want to take – advantage and leverage the way the financial markets are currently looking. So that uh, competitors one, and there's also, of course, the vertical integration approach where you're looking to either um, buy a, um, a supplier, key supplier for your business, or indeed a customer. Mm, yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's something that people forget about as well, but that's a good way of creating value. Great. So we've had uh, a, a ranging conversation over the last three quarters of an hour around business planning, around the importance of having kind of a structure, um, around time out to think, about tapping into the environment within which you're operating, about talking to your customers and just ensuring that you're still tapping into pain points. Gone on to talk a little bit about um, trends that are taking place and then moving on about how we can scale through acquisition uh, you know, as we kind of bring the conversation to a close, Nick, what are the sort of thoughts would you give to the whole point around planning for 2020? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, you've got, I think your point was brilliantly made around um, having time to think. Yeah. And just, just, to, just to reiterate that point, because I think that's the, that's the starting point. You've got to commit time to this. And in the same way you commit time to your own personal goals, you've got to structure that in some way. So the way I've done that before, and if you've got a business and you've got a certainly a small business, go away with the team. First and foremost, get your, your head together about what, what you want to communicate, but then build it with the team. So it feels like it's something that is going to be part of the fabric and the infrastructure. So we've, we haven't touched a lot on that, but I think if, as soon as you've got the external thing clear and you're clear on what the priorities are, you need to engage the internal. For sure. And that's also where you start to see gaps. So you might sit there and say, actually, you know what? And I've done, again, seen this recently where I needed to invest more in a, in a, in a higher technology capability, a CTO, a chief technical, um, technology officer. Yes. Um, because actually 
I, I did the external first and realized that was a gap, the business I was working with. So, so that's the piece for me is, you know, you've got to spend the time for that. Then I think without, you know, your model sounds excellent. I, I don't think you need to have too much complexity, but you do need to have a framework. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, less is more. So if you have a list of 20 priorities, it's not a priority. Mm-hmm. I've always worked on a, on a basis of three to five is maximum. Yeah. And they're three to five big boulders that you want to achieve in the year. Some yeah. of them commercial, some of them operational, some of them have the profits, some might be more strategic. And then um, the way I found it to be effective, depending on the size of your business, is you build accountability around those priorities with your team. Yes. You allow someone to take some ownership. They can build the plan. If you're the leader of the business, you're not responsible for getting it done. You're responsible for seeing the tempo and making sure it's all put in place. And then the final point, I think, is planning isn't just an annual thing. I, I find that I, I often do quarterly. I work in 90-day blocks. I often do quarterly planning um, and then review things weekly and monthly. So I think if people are listening to this thinking, I don't do any planning, well, the first starting point is do some. <laughs> but then it's not something that is just a one-off. Yeah. In actual fact, um, the, the one thing I do the most of in terms of uh, frequency or tempo of uh, involvement with, with clients is quarterly strategic planning days. Yeah, good. Uh, and it works fantastically well. We touch base on the months in between by via Zoom and via you know email and text and whatever. But it's once a quarter we sit down for a day, and a lot's moved in that time. And the the things that you might have planned for your year, environment factors, technology, whatever it might be, has changed. So we need to revisit that on a quarterly yeah. basis. But also, it it just reboots the system. You know it cleans the spark plugs of the engine for, yeah. for the fires them up for the next quarter yeah and I, it's also manageable one of one of my um, coaches once said to me that you know never leave a room without taking action on a goal so if you set a goal then you know, take action that day and it's a similar sort of principle to this is that if you work in 90-day blocks where you can foreseeably let's say you've got one big priority it might be a commercial priority that is to hit this revenue figure for the year okay so what does that mean for the quarter let's work that out then you sit there and say, okay, what does my marketing plan need to be looking like? You know, how many leads do I, how do I put some metrics around this? All of a sudden, that thing that seemed really big seems very, very achievable because you broke it down into some, some manageable steps. And you can do that across other areas more so than just commercial. But then that idea that I have this idea that I'm going to double the size of my business or I'm going to create this value from it becomes very real because you've got that stuff in place. So I think that's, that's the big thing for me on planning is, I know we're talking about annual planning because you need to start with the vision, but actually it's not that, it's continuous. And there's something then about that 90-day, that 13-week sprint that people can get their hands around. Because if you start day one or week one of a 52-week year, you think you've got loads of time. Um, But you've got 13 weeks, you're going to really focus. And I I found real success with uh, teams and clients and companies I've worked with where we've done kind of three levels of goal, the minimum, the target, and the outrageous. Yeah. Right. So, which you may probably have come uh, across before, but the minimum is if you, you know, um, the wind was not even without the wind behind you, just on your current sort of glide path, with doing nothing different, this you're going to hit that target. It's your minimum target. So, the minimum. The next level is targets, like you're stretched. But then the outrageous is the kind of like super stretch. And we graph that on the wall of the, uh, of the other offices of their business. And, and we put that around a campaign and a real push at quarter by quarter so a 13-week campaign and to see the buzz of when that graph is tracking either above outrageous or on outrageous it's just like reinvigorating the whole team 
The secret is to keep that momentum going in quarter two in the second sprint or the fourth sprint of the year. Um, but it can have a massive impact. And the, what then becomes possible has just shifted in the thinking of the people in that business. Yeah, I love that. In fact, I haven't heard it called outrageous before, but I like the idea of that. I might steal that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by all means. That- and the other thing that jumped to mind as you were speaking is also, not, not that every incentive is a money incentive for people, but even just having some fun, you know, in this oh. whole thing, making the whole thing fun. So even if it is, you know, at the end of every quarter, we're going to celebrate. I mean, I'm not very good with celebration. It's probably my worst thing, right? You know, I, I set a goal, I achieve it, and then I move on to the next. But I, I try and get better at this. But I think that's an important part within the plan is work out. If you are going to get to your words at that outrageous goal, how are you going to celebrate? Because that's going to give you the ignition. That, to- and that could be, and I know one of my clients has done it, that actually if you've hit that 13-week goal by week 12, week 13, you're up. You've, you've got an extra week holiday. Right. Because then we shift in the conversation to about achieving outcome rather than delivery of outcome rather than task. Yeah. And then, and then people buy into that and, and the, whole, the whole cultural piece also starts to evolve as well. Well, I don't know about you, Nick, but I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been awesome. And there'll be more of these. So, yes, uh, no, thank you, Gavin. I think and for everyone who's listening from, from Scale Your Business, I think you know, this, there's a lot of stuff in that. A lot of the stuff I've spoken about on previous episodes you know, there's a bit of reinforcement, but with Gavin's perspective, which is excellent. But hopefully you're starting to sense that there are some key themes to this that aren't that, you know, out there that are actually very achievable. And, um, you know, if there's anything that's inspiring you from this conversation, certainly get in touch with me or get in touch with Gavin. So for my listeners, Nick, how will people find out about you? Yeah, to reach out to me, um, best way is still to reach out on social media. So, so get in touch with me through LinkedIn or my company is The Fielding Group, which is um, www.fielding.global. Um, and yourself, Gavin? Um, yeah, it's Gavin Preston, the Business uh, Mastermind Podcast. And yeah, again, on social, Gavin Preston on LinkedIn or Facebook, Gavin Preston Growth Strategies. Great. We'll put all that into the show notes as well. Great. All right. Thank Cheers, you very Nick. much. Thank you. So how did you enjoy that episode? Gavin's a great guy, knows his stuff. And I really wanted to spend a bit of time talking about planning at this time of the year, this, this end of the year, so that you can really go into 2020 hitting the ground running. The last thing just to bring you today is I have a few spaces left on my 90-day business growth accelerator and I have a start date. So it will start January 7, 2020, as early in the new year as possible. And I wanted to do that because I think anyone who's challenged in their business and they really want to you know, start the new year, the new decade with an absolute push, you know, really going hard at their business, then I've designed this program specifically for that. It's Masterclass Mastermind. It's going to run every two weeks. I'll be running the sessions with some select experts. And if you're really, really wanting a bit of accountability, some coaching, some mentoring, some different strategies to, to get you focused, then I, then I thoroughly recommend you consider uh, joining the Accelerator program. If you're interested in that, please get in touch. You can send me an email. It's nick at fielding.global. Or you can reach out to me at any time on any of the social media Uh, platforms that I'm on. Most likely LinkedIn is the best one. That's when most people reach out to me these days to, uh, to have a call or to have a chat or to suggest anything on the show. So that's it. As I always say, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Bye for now.